0: Well, brothers and sisters, I'm going to have to behave the rest of the week. <laughs> Can anybody guess why? Well, my, my mom and the truth here. <laughs> Sister Esma Fitzgerald. <clears throat> she says she'll never forget the day that uh, I walked in her back door and she looked up and saw that fat guy with that grin on his face. And I guess the reason she remembers it was because... I stayed in her house (laughs) more than I did in mine from 1962 till uh, 1968. That's when I got married. And uh, I guess it's a good thing Esma always had a big garden because their grocery bill would have been huge. (laughs) Esma's washed and ironed my clothes. And I guess the best thing, though, is we had... uh,
1: many many
0: discussions between John and Esma and myself concerning the thing concerning the things about the name of Jesus Christ and that kingdom of God that is soon to be upon this earth and those evening discussions were, they were not only instructive, but they were very enjoyable. And I tell you what, I don't, I don't know of any, I don't guess, Sister Esmond, I've ever had a cross word. The only thing that uh, she's ever got on to me about, I guess, is that uh, since I've got married, I don't go see her as much as I should. Glad you're here," asked Sister Esmond. <clears throat> well, brothers and sisters and friends of the Bible School, it's uh, it's Wednesday. Before we know it, this week's going to be over. And you know, I gave you a little clue yesterday about, uh, which I got from another brother over here in the in the dining room, about how to do a daily, daily, daily Bible reading, so I'm going to give you a little clue about uh, going to a Bible school. Now, the fellowship and the games and the activities, they're all, they're really wonderful, but The main reason that we came here is for this word, get this word. So uh, I'm going to tell you something, if you're beginning to get a little bit tired, if you're getting sleepy in class, if you're getting a little sleepy in that evening exhortation, you better take a nap this afternoon, or you better go to bed a little bit earlier tonight. Because I'm going to tell you what there's some principles that's been pointed out in these three morning classes that you're sitting in. And also in these evening exhortations, there's principles being brought out that if you and I, if we neglect these principles, it could cost us our eternal life. So we need to, we need to think about what we're here for. Because this Bible school, it's going to be over before we know it. My class this week is Not My Will, but Thine Be Done. And I'm fixing to ask you that question. Are we prepared To do God's will. Are we prepared? Let's turn to the book of Philemon. We're fixing to look at two more men here that were uh, I think they were prepared to do God's will. Philemon is right in front of Hebrews. It's just a little bitty book. Little bitty. (laughs) Philemon was a wealthy disciple of Colossi of high standing in the local ecclesia and paul makes mention of the prayers love generosity and hospitality paul makes mention of the you might want to jot these down in these four things down in your notes paul makes mention of the prayers love generosity and hospitality Of Philemon in his epistle. Let's look at verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. And look at verse 21. having confidence in thy obedience. Now that's really some fine words to say about somebody. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and in toward all saints, and having confidence in thy obedience. Philemon had been taught the truth by Paul, and that's... You can can read about that in, in verse 19. And Philemon gave himself completely to the work of the Lord, so that he is addressed by the apostle. Look at the first verse. The first verse. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer. Philemon was a slave owner and among among those on his estate was a man named Onesimus. And this slave, he didn't want to be a slave. I don't think I'd want to be a slave either. Well, he ran away from Philemon and he took some of Philemon's things with him. And he must have made his way to Rome. <clears throat> and this runaway thief or slave, somehow, I don't know how, but uh, he was attracted to the truth. Perhaps he came into contact with some of the believers in the city <clears throat> and uh, and was drawn by their influence to investigate the doctrines that he heard, whatever the reason, we're not told, but whatever the reason, the call of Christ interested him, and he was therefore introduced to Paul. And as he spoke with Paul, Onesimus, he realized that this man Paul really had faith. And he was cheerful in spite of his suffering. And though he was a free-born Roman citizen, preferred servitude to Christ. Thy will be done. Servitude to Christ. Thy will be done. And this slave who refused to work under his earthly master... He too sought a voluntary servitude to Christ. Thy will be done. Now at first Paul probably knew nothing of the background of Onesimus. And on occasion the slave probably confessed to Paul his failings. That he was a slave who had run away with some of his master's goods. Now, there's a problem here. The problem was to reinstate Onesimus in such a way as to retain his self-confidence and to encourage him in the work to which he had willingly given his hand. Now, Paul, he knew both the men. He knows Philemon and he knows Onesimus. And he must conciliate a man who had good reason to be offended. He must commend the offender without denying or aggravating the acknowledged fault. And he must assert the principle of equality in Christ. Equality in Christ. In face of social conditions that sometimes hardly recognize the humanity of slaves. Paul prayerfully ponders the problem and came to decision. He knew the man to whom he would write. He would ask of him nothing more than to plead for forgiveness of the wrong while suggesting that Philemon, Philemon receive Onesimus again as a slave, treating him with The consideration and affection due to a brother in Christ. You know, we ought to write that down in our notes. That one sentence. The consideration and affection due to a brother in Christ. Now, that does not mean that we have to support Someone in error, or support their error, or support wrong doctrine. We don't have to do, this does not mean to do that. But we can be considerate and affectionate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The consideration and affection due to a brother in Christ. He would tell Philemon how that he, Paul, had derived such help from Onesimus, who had voluntarily placed himself in servitude to the truth. That he would have delighted to have retained his service as personal assistant, but would not do so as he had learned that Philemon had prior right to his slave. Let's look at 13. Verse 13. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. He would explain how that the slave had been elevated to a brother. Look at verse 15 and 16. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou there, If thou count me therefore a partner, Receive him as myself. If thou count me therefore a partner. Receive him as myself. So that in the service he would now render. Both to the truth and to his master. He who had been so unprofitable to Philemon. Would prove most profitable. Finally, if Philemon was at any financial loss through the past indiscretions of Onesimus, Paul promised to make it good. Carefully, Paul thought out how he would write that important letter. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. This epistle reveals the delicacy of Paul's feelings and the graciousness of his relations with his friends. He does not demand and command, but he appeals as a shepherd and a friend, drawing out the love of Philemon and the devotion of Onesimus by so doing. Paul knew the characters before him. And by his tact and confidence in them. Look at that verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience. Brought out their finest qualities. Are we trying to bring out the finest qualities in our brothers and sisters? Why don't, instead of griping and complaining, why don't we start doing this? And I said, we. Why don't we start trying to bring out the finest qualities in our brothers and sisters? I think we have run each other uh, down enough. We are destroying the unamended community with our gossiping and complaining and murmuring. Let's start trying to bring out the finest qualities. Onesimus must seek forgiveness. Now, brothers and sisters, if we have to seek forgiveness, let's seek it. Let's don't try to justify something that's wrong. If we have to seek forgiveness, let's seek it. Onesimus must seek forgiveness and submit to his previous servitude. Philemon must willingly grant forgiveness and receive his slave as a brother. Paul made it possible for both to do so without either losing face. He did Paul... Tried to arrange this where neither men would lose face. This, such a small book, <laughs> this lovely little incident and epistle reveals three powerful and profound lessons. Philemon had right on his side, but was taught that this must be exercised in love. Exercise right with love. If you want to write that down. Exercise right with love. Now, Paul had authority. He had the authority to tell the saints what to do. And there's times that he did. He could say, you do this. He had the authority. But what did he do here? He tried to persuade these men to do the right thing. He didn't say, Onesimus, you do this. He didn't say, Philemon, and you do this. He reasoned with them, and he tried to persuade them to do what was right. Let's start doing that. Let's try to persuade one another to do what's right. Let's don't try to force one another to do what's right, because if we start forcing we're going. the other's party is most likely going to rebel. And we have, as Brother Jim has brought out, we, and some of the other brothers this week, we've got a natural problem with rebelling. Onesimus was a brother in Christ. Even though he was a runaway thief and a slave, he was a brother in Christ. And I'll tell you what, he was a thief before he baptized. And I'll tell you what, if he would—if he stole again, I believe Paul would have uh, dealt severely with him if he was stole again after he had been baptized. Onesimus was a brother in Christ. Now listen to this. But had to learn that he must acknowledge his obligations. Now don't forget that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. we have got some other things we want to bring out before we get to this. Onesimus was a brother in Christ, but had to learn that he must acknowledge his obligations. These are lessons you and I, we, must learn today. Thus, in the seemingly minor insignificant drama enacted in the hired house in Rome which drew these three lives together, there is manifested a wonderful exhortation of a relationship in Christ. Don't overlook anything in the Bible. Don't overlook anything. a wonderful exhortation of relationships in Christ. Paul saw that tremendous issues were involved and recognized that they were far from trivial. T-R-I-V-I-L. Trivial. This problem between Onesimus and Philemon was not trivial to them. It might be trivial to me and you, this was not trivial to these two men. <clears throat> and Paul penned an epistle of eternal value, stressing the need for all to exercise faith that Jim talked about last night, love, tact, and obedience. In Christ Jesus. Thy will be done. Now brothers and sisters. You probably don't know how big my head is. But when I buy a cap. You you just would not believe how big my head is. And you also do not realize. Some of you may. How thick it is. (laughs) You do not. I don't know how many times. I have read this little book. And it never dawned on me what Paul was asking this brother Onesimus to do. He did not want to be a slave. And what do you think the penalty? I bet the penalty was pretty severe back then for a slave to run away and, and not only run away but take some of his owner's possessions. Probably could have been... Many beatings or even death. Now you think about being a slave and escaping. I I took some courage to do that. But Paul is asking him to go back to slavery. To go back to being a slave. Well, Onesimus was, I think Onesimus was prepared to do the will of God because I think he, I think he went back to uh, Philemon. Now, I sure hope you paid some attention this morning because I'm fixing to ask you a question. If Onesimus had been baptized and he is a brother in Christ and his sin of stealing had been forgiven and it's behind him, it's gone forever. Is anybody willing to tell me when Paul found out that he was a slave and he had a master why did he ask Onesimus to return? Can anybody tell me? Why? Beg your pardon? He didn't change the slave status. I couldn't understand you, Bob. He didn't change the slave status that he was okay, it uh, didn't change his slave status, did it? Pat? the that needed to be Okay, that's, that's another good point. Uh, let's think about something. Now, what if. Uh, now, see, Paul knows Philemon. And we know that this Philemon was a loving brother. What if Philemon, Philemon had not been a brother? What if he had been a, a known a brood, abuser of his slaves? Do you think Paul would have sent Onesimus back? Go ahead, Pat. Go ahead. Is there a script? Can we prove this by scripture? Seek not to be okay, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> 22 through uh, 25. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with our service as men, men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Jesus. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respecter of persons. Okay, now let's turn to 1 Timothy. Okay. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Okay, this, this would apply to Philemon, right? 22 through 25 applies to Onesimus. Chapter 4, verse 1, that applies to, the, to uh, Philemon. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. Chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they, listen to this, and they that have believing masters, so there was some slaves that didn't have That were brothers that didn't have. Or maybe sisters that didn't have believing masters. See that verse right there? And they that have believing masters. Let them not despise them. Because they are brethren. But rather do them service. Because they are faithful and beloved. Partakers of the benefit. These things teach. And exhort. Okay what about Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at that now this this chapter five and uh, 4, 5, and 6. This is all instructions to uh, the household. It's instructions to husbands and wives and, and elders. And, and like, Look at verse 1 and 2. That They're even instructing, instructions there for the children. Obey your parents. But let's look at 5. And, and the fathers, look at verse 4. Provoke not your children to wrath. But look at 5. <clears throat> Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of of heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And look at verse 9. And ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. So brothers and sisters... The reason that Paul told Onesimus to return to Philemon. You know, here you've got Philemon over here at Colossus. And you've got Onesimus over here at Rome with Paul. Why didn't he say, well, we'll just just not do that. You can just stay here and work with me. Well, I'll... From what we've read here, that must not have been God's will. Sister Martin? That really was a good test for Onesimus. It sure was. It sure was a test for his character. So it must have been God's will that Onesimus was to return to his master. Now, I think that... uh, Now this is just me talking... I think Onesimus did return to his master. And you know what I think? Do you know what I think uh, Philemon probably did? Gave him his freedom. Gave his, his pre- freedom. And you, uh, can you pick out a verse there that would possibly, uh, Jim? Uh, well, this one here in 6 5, where it says, Servants be obedient. Um, this one over here and no. Philemon, for uh, the of, of, obedience of Philemon was known. They okay. Read 21. Read all of 21. Having confidence in my obedience, I wrote unto thee knowing that thou will also do more than I say. That Philemon will also do more than I say. He, he, sent, he returned Onesimus to, to Philemon and I... As for myself I think uh, I think Philemon probably would have given him his his freedom but we don't know for sure. But I think there's lots of lessons in that little book there. 16 Okay. Not now is a servant but above a servant a brother beloved especially to me but how much more unto thee both in the flesh and in the Lord. Well, even if uh, even if Philemon uh, kept Onesimus in his state of a servant, he was supposed to still consider Onesimus as a brother. Even if he was, even if he did keep him in the slave state. But uh, with what's said here about Philemon, I would it would be my my opinion that he would have probably given him his freedom. Okay, is there any other questions or comments that anybody would like to make about this? If if you disagree with me, go ahead and make a comment. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I might need some correction. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Brother Ian, he's been waiting. <laughs> go ahead, Brother Ian. I don't mind. No, I just noticed in verse 17 that it's very cleverly worded. It's like me saying you, Brother Ernie, you found me a brother or a partner. Will you please agree that this brother over here is is okay? Oh, so you don't agree. You disagree. <laughs> that's a, that's a very good point. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to add about this little uh, this little uh, these little events here in Philemon? Brother Herb. Possible. It's not possible that Paul was thinking of his own his own position and, and that he was when he sent Onesimus sure he it was a test for Onesimus, but it was also sending him back to, to avoid the appearance of evil, that evil being that he would have taken another man's slave. That's a good point. But I still the still the main point I want to bring out that uh I think it was God's will, and that's, that's why we, re- in these other verses, that the, the slave would remain under their master unless the master agreed to make them free. And uh, I think uh, the thing that I want to bring out, that, that Onesimus was prepared to do God's will, and he was going to return to his slavery to Philemon. And as for myself, I certainly hope that he was made a free man. But if he wasn't, if he wasn't, I feel sure that uh, Philemon would have treated with him, would have treated him with the consideration and affection due to a brother in Christ. I firmly believe that. Okay, time is time is moving right along, and uh, oh, excuse me, Tommy. Well I tell you what, I'm honest, I'm no I don't know, does anybody else? I couldn't answer that question. Three chapter four, verses seven. Well, that's a good that's it a like it. He was it sure does that's a good point uh, Ernie, yes sir the, uh, Oldfield oh, makes a remark here. The Colossians were sent by the same messenger who bore Ephesus and Philemon and it was probably written at the same time. That's a good point. And yet, does anybody else have any other points to make? If not, I'm going to continue on. Uh, I have a Where I work, we're we're only supposed to be given one job at a time because uh, it's it's uh, very dangerous. One wrong step or an a unsure hand grip, uh, a person can lose his life. And uh, I tell you what, if, if if we look the wrong way or don't correct the line of the switch, uh, it's possible to blow up an entire city and it's one of the rules down there that you only have, uh, you're only given one job at a time. But I got this big old yard master. I don't know why he does it, but uh, he says, come here, Ernie. <laughs> he says, I'm going to pack your ear, and he gives me enough work for about two days. So, and I don't know why he does it. It could be because they call my crew the Medicare crew, that may be the reason, I don't know, but i tell you what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to pack y'all's ear this week, so I'm going to go right on here. Disciples of the Lord are called to a noble service. Disciples of the Lord are called to a noble service. Stronger than any bond is the devotion their master asks of them. And I think we can see that in this little incident that we just talked about uh in regard to uh, Onesimus. Disciples of the Lord are called to a noble service. Stronger than any bond is the devotion their master asks of them. Their pattern in his, is his life of complete dedication to the Father's will. Not my will, but thine to be done. Dedication to the Father's will. And their hope is to made like him when he returns to the earth. In all times, in all places, true disciples have found an inspiration and a defense against the bad influence of environment in their Lord's moral counsel and the guidance of the Holy Scriptures. And I'm going to tell you each, if you're taking notes, I'm going to tell you something to do right now. Write these two words down. Aim high. Don't hold back. Aim high. Aim high. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Let's hurry. We'll have to hurry. I'm running out of time. Verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your man And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying. I think these are commands. Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbors. Now skip down to verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. I think about Onesimus. But rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let's try to bring out the best in our brothers and sisters. And we don't do this with corrupt communication. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And he says, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I firmly believe in this, but don't you go away from here saying that, that I'm going to support error, whether it be centered sin or, sin or doctrinally, because I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be try to be kind and considerate to you, but I'm not going to support error, whether it be sin or doctrine. Be ye there followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in in the kingdom of God, of Christ, and and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Let's skip over to the 22nd verse. <clears throat> and I'm not going to read all of this because if there's not anybody familiar with verses 22 through 33, you should be. And if you're not, you need to, we need to get familiar with it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the ecclesia, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the ecclesia is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. By the creation of woman, God was not only providing for the continuation of the race and for man's physical, psychological, and social well-being, but was directing our attention to his glorious purpose of achieving a perfect union between himself and the faithful of all ages. In the closeness of human bonds, in the very focal point of mortal life, the believer is lifted beyond it to the contemplation of glorious spiritual truths. That which would most persuasively tie us down to earth, claiming all our interest and attention, is to be constantly penetrated by the example of Christ and to be lived as a parable of nobler things. Brothers and sisters, that's what our marriage is supposed to be. To be lived as a parable of nobler things. How good it is that disciples should be taught these things before they marry and should be reminded of them on their wedding day and it must not end there. We must constantly and continually keep the ideal in our mind. Some brothers and sisters are able to live single. But for the majority of us, it's best that we marry. It's not good for a man to be alone. Physical problems, nervous tensions, instability, selfishness. The gift of a wife and children should cause us to be unselfish. In the most private moments in our lives, in our most inmost thoughts, marriage holds for the disciple a glorious challenge to overcome the basic urge in us to get and to take and to replace this with the godly love of giving. Now listen to this. Listen to this. To be good to our spouse. and that means husband or wife. To be good to our spouse. And our children. And most important. To teach. And help them. Understand. Appreciate. And love spiritual things. That's that's what our marriages are to be doing. Maybe we need to examine ourselves. To be good to our spouse and our children. It's God's will that we do that. But more important, we should be teaching and helping, H-E-L-P-I-N-G, helping them to understand, appreciate, And what? Love spiritual things. One of the loveliest responses to our Savior's redeeming love can be the union of two well-mated lives in physical, mental, and spiritual harmony Unselfishly loving one another, or each other. Unselfishly loving each other. Listen to this. Prayerfully guiding their children. Listen to this. Steadfastly serving their brothers and sisters. Joyfully working and waiting for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, is this a description of our marriage? If it's not, it ought to be. And what did I have you write down a while ago? Aim high. Aim high. And we can aim high in our marriages.